appreciate the the worship time. Hallelujah. Well, every Sunday we're getting a few more, a few more back, a few more back this this week. Next week we're looking to have more back. We are going ahead with our Resurrection Sunday schedule, so if you're not here, uh, come along for that. And um, we did put it in there. We have a sign-up sheet, such things like that. So I put it in, uh, I think, for the, the folks out there on Facebook. If you're not here, you can't sign up for it, but text me. Now, I'm not going to be coordinating it, but most of you have my cell phone number and not my wife. So when you text me, I'm going to be giving it to her, and she's going to be doing all the coordination of food. Because, you know, if, if it's up to me, we would have eggs and grits, and there won't be anything else out there. That's, that'd be all that there is. Maybe some bacon. Get some bacon in there. But uh, we'll, we'll let her take charge of that. But um, if you have her cell phone number, feel free to text her directly if you are not here and plan to be here for the breakfast next, next Sunday. All right, we're going to be over in a chapter we have not looked at for a number of years. By my count, it is about six. And uh, it's a... Well, worthwhile story. It's not going to be a new story to you. I'm pretty sure you're all going to remember this. It's not one of those ones that, um, well, that, 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 that's not a feel-good story. <laughs> but in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to be over there. And I asked you this question when we uh, started off over there on Facebook. Do, you, do your emotions rule you? Now, most people say no. Most people will say no, uh, they don't. But they probably do more than you think. And I thought of this, uh, this, this, this story that might help. And me, this is not, this is not the story I promised you. I, I promised me a story, and hopefully we will get to it. But I was thinking about this beforehand, and so I'm using me as an example, because she's all the way over there in the corner, and uh, she can't defend herself. So, <clears throat> if if me was at home, and she heard her brother Max say something nasty about her. I'm sure that never happens, but it did when I was, we're getting some, oh, I didn't bring my microphone up yet. That's what that extra noise is. All right, now we're good. I heard some noise, I wasn't sure what it was. But if Mia was at home and her brother said something that just really tore her down, man, you just look ugly this morning or something along those lines. And then her mom or dad came along and they said to her and didn't know what had happened before, but they said to her, Mia, you are so beautiful. Which one do you think she would receive? Would she receive the bad one? Would she receive the... You're only going to receive one. Either you believe that you're beautiful or you believe that you're ugly. You're going to believe one or the other. So I began to ponder this and, and, and think on this. It would, it would completely depend what's happening on that day. If you have a day where you're feeling really good about yourself, you would probably reject any comment that puts you down. And you would receive any comment that built you up. But if you're feeling particularly bad about yourself, woke up in a bad mood, or just emotionally, you're just not, not there. Those nasty comments are easier to receive and get in us. And this is what I mean by our emotions rule us more than we think. 
Because if, if my emotions are in a bad place, the enemy can sow seeds into me that I might be resistant to if I was in a different place. How do we get to the place where our emotions don't have that kind of say in the things that we receive? That's what we're going to be taking a look at for this story here today. We looked at last week, we continue looking at fasting, and we are still looking at fasting here. It won't sound like it a whole lot as we're going on, but we, we will and probably have at least one more week on it, one more than I, than I was thinking. But last week we saw that when I enter into sin, I operate in a conflicting nature to my Father. The more I operate in that conflicting nature, the more distant His nature is going to seem to me. And I won't be able to tell when I'm hearing from God or when I'm hearing from another source as easily because of the fellowship that I'm having with the, with the other. There's a hidden cost to sin. And the devil never likes to, to know that. But there is a hidden cost to sin. There's a hidden cost to bringing in the wrong thoughts. There's a hidden cost to saying the wrong words. When we, we operate in this, sure, there's forgiveness from God, but I'm distancing myself from the things that I need to sustain life. We've got to make sure that we, we don't do that. Fasting and prayer are given to us to help deal with this. Now, over in 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 24. You can always go back and read some of the things that went on before. If you go all the way back to verse 8, you're going to see a story that had happened in where uh, the king of Syria was mad with Elisha because Elisha is divulging the plans that the king of Syria has against the king of Israel. And someone uh, in his uh, 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 group that, that uh, counseled him, they said, uh, it's Elisha. It's not one of us. We're not squealing on you. It's Elisha. He's the one who's, uh, he tells you the very things that are going on in your bedroom, he said. All right, we need to get him. So they sent an army out to get him. And when they went over to the city of Dothan where he was, of course, Elisha's all cool about it. His, uh, his sidekick wasn't so, wasn't so good. And he's all upset. And he said, Elisha says, oh, relax. There's more with us than are against us. You all remember that, uh, that verse that comes out of Second Kings chapter 6. There's more with us than are against us, and he didn't really seem to buy into that too much. So he said, Father, open up his eyes that he may see. And he saw all around the city angels. And he was put at ease by these angels. I mean, one angel can take out the entire army that came against them. But they had angels all the way around there. And so Elisha, just totally at ease with this whole situation, comes on out and he says, Who do you seek? We're looking for Elisha. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take you right to the place and the person that you're looking for. And so they followed him right on into the city of Samaria. And they had the army of, this, of uh, the king of Israel surrounding them. And then uh, suddenly their eyes were open. And now they could see, here's the man we were looking for. And we are inside the city. And now we really can't do anything about it. <laughs> so, uh, and so the king of Israel said, what should we do with them? Should we kill them? And he says, no, these are your guests. Feed them and let them go. So they fed him and they let him go. And that's why it starts off here in verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So he sent some, some part of the army to come down and get, and get Elisha. And that was unsuccessful. And they treated him nice. 
fed them, and put them on their way. So after these things, they decide, let's send a whole army down there and just destroy the whole place. Have you ever treated somebody kindly only to have them turn around and do something nasty to you? How many of y'all know that can get your emotions? Can that get a hold of you? <laughs> so God protected them before and Israel showed them mercy. But Ben-Hadad is not shown any mercy. Verse 25, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Now the word there translated uh, donkey for donkey's head is actually a word for undisclosed animal. So it doesn't have to be a donkey's head, it just can be any animal that you probably wouldn't eat otherwise. I can think of a lot of animals that I would not eat, and I can certainly think of a lot of heads of those animals that I would not eat either. But that's how scarce food was. Now, if God was protecting before, why doesn't he help them out here? Because they were in, in sin. The northern tribes never followed God. Never. As soon as they separated from the southern tribes, they departed from the ways of God. Now, many in the northern tribes didn't want to depart from the ways of God, and some of those came down to the southern tribes, and they stayed down there. So the southern tribes was actually a mixture of all, all the tribes. But they never, never served God, and were not serving him under this particular king either. And God had promised them, told them, back in the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 28, verse 56 and 57, if you want to go look that up. He said that starvation would happen. If you leave the things of God and go after idols, these are some of the things that will happen. And starvation was one of them. And they faced that here in Samaria. They faced it in Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. And they also faced it in Jerusalem under Titus. They faced this type of starvation. And this is, this is what's going on. So if you didn't have 80 shekels of silver to buy a donkey's head, and I don't know how much food you would get out of head, whatever animal they're talking about. There's probably not a whole lot of food there. But I imagine that other things that, that you probably wouldn't eat might look better to you when you're that hungry. And if you didn't have that, then you didn't have anything to eat. There was no place to go. You were in the city. You couldn't just go wander out into the woods and shoot something and bring it on home because there were people out there who wanted to kill you. So verse 26, Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Basically, he's saying, I've got nothing. How in the world can I help you? If the Lord won't help you, how can I help you? It's amazing how often people turn to the Lord when things are really bad who are not turning to the Lord other times. When things are bad, all of a sudden, they're in church, they're reading their Bible, they're praying. I didn't mention this to you before, and we'll get into this uh, maybe more so next week and, and show you some of the reasons as to why. But if you need direction from God, that is probably not the best time for fasting. You ought to be doing this beforehand. You ought to be prepping ahead of time. Don't, uh, don't just try and go out there and get it because, well, I need it now. We got, what's the next holiday coming up? Fourth of July? 
Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're having a barbecue over at your house on the 4th of July, make sure you get your propane beforehand. I have an empty propane tank. I saw that sitting there. I said, I got to make sure I fill that up. Because I like having an extra backup. And um, uh, I, I don't know how I ended up with it, but I have three propane tanks. That's after giving one away. I don't know where they all came from. I have three propane tanks, and I have two things that propane sits on. One is the grill, and then one is the, uh, the little fire deal that you got going on that people warm themselves up with, and, and well, we happen to cook marshmallows on it, too. So uh, we got two of them in there, and both of those have stuff in it, and then I got a third one, and that's my backup. So I get the third one filled up, and if any of the other two run out, then I just go grab it and put it in there, and we're good to go. Because you don't want to be on the 4th of July trying to go out to Lowe's and get some, um, uh, get some propane. I just don't want to have to do that, so I wanted to, to make sure we, we get on through there. But if I, if I did, I can always borrow from the other one and pull it on over, but we try not to do that. But if you need direction, that's not the time to go to Lowe's, so to speak. Make sure that you're, you're prayed up and fasted up and keep that going so that when you need direction, you can get it. That's the better way to do it. If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? Yeah, right, it's the Lord's fault. He's not helping. That's the whole reason that you're in this is because the Lord's not helping. And the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. This is why people don't always go to this particular chapter. This is not pleasant things to be thinking about. We boiled my son and ate him and I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now, I'm puzzled by that statement. Because my first thought is that the child was young. And that's why you only had enough food for the day. But if the child is that young, how are you hiding it? <laughs> so, is the child older than we're, than we're thinking? And I don't know. Because if you're going to hide... A son, how many know there needs to be a certain age when they, when you tell them, look, hide or else. <laughs> so I don't know what age that is, but I, I come to that and look at that. Hmm. Where do you, how do you hide the son? Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me and more also. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So he's uh, trying to show, I'm in mourning, I got sackcloth on. Maybe that's trying to show he's repenting, but he put it on underneath of his clothes. Uh, if you put sackcloth on underneath your clothes, I imagine that's not very comfortable. That's just, that's, that's not a thing that you want to wear. So he put that on for the purpose of, I'm going to be uncomfortable. This is the way that they, you know, demonstrated remorse and, and uh, so forth. So he had this on, but no one could tell because he had all of his kingly robes on on top of it. That just weighs that down. So if you ever want to go through an experiment, go get yourself some sackcloth or just an old sack and put that on and see how that feels underneath your clothes. Hmm. God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So now we're going to blame Elisha. It's his fault. That this is all happening. Probably it's Elisha's fault because Elisha is a prophet. And we don't have a whole lot of recorded messages that Elisha brought to the kings. 
like with Elijah, we had a lot more recorded messages when he actually brought things, you know, do this and you will die. <laughs> do this and your kingdom will come to an end. He had some uh, very point and point, uh, pointed things to say to these people who were worshiping idols and leading the people of Israel into it. But we don't hear a whole lot about that, but he did sit in the same office as Elijah. So more than likely, he delivered a lot of words to these kings. He had access to the kings. The kings knew him. So more than likely, he was, he was telling them, you are going to be judged. You're going to have this nation come against you. This battle is coming. Uh, Jerusalem will be besieged. He probably predicted about the famine that would be coming. All these things he's probably has said. And so since he said it, it must be his fault. Is what he's, what the king is saying. <clears throat> Gotta be his fault. Surely it isn't my fault. So that's what he is, that's what he is doing. He wants to let all the people know, hey, I'm doing something. I'm gonna go after Elisha. Now Elisha is not causing their trouble. Elisha is not the one besieging the city. Nothing like that is going on. But we're gonna, we're gonna make him pay for it. Just kinda like what the, the media and types like that do today. They want you to blame, if you don't have a whole lot of money, the, the fault is the people that are rich. It's their fault. So, uh, this, some of the politicians will come out, you know, we're gonna sock it to them rich people. And you just feel good because they're gonna sock it to the rich people. They're not helping you out at all. They're not taking any money and giving it to you, then they're gonna sock it to them rich people. We're gonna, we're gonna tax them. <laughs> this is kinda like what he's doing. Elisha has no, no uh, cause for doing any of this. He didn't bring the king there. He just told us it was happening. He told us probably what we could do to stop it, but we didn't do it. But we're going to get him. He says we're going we're to kill him. And somehow he's able to get a messenger out of the city. And so he sends him out. So uh, let's pick up in verse 32. Now earlier they sought out Elisha. The king of Syria sought out Elisha specifically. They came after him. This time they don't look for Elisha at all and he's in another city. Verse 32, But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was a messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So he didn't just send a messenger. He sent a hitman. And the message was, I'm taking your head off. That's the message. I'm here to kill you. So he was a, uh, a soldier. He was a, uh, a man who they felt could get through the enemy lines or get through whatever he had to get through to, to get over to where he was at and deliver this to him. So he, he says, he's just sitting there, sitting in his house. The elders were sitting with him. They're just uh, eh, kind of sitting around. And he gets a word from God. Elisha does. They're sending somebody, sending a messenger to take you out. Now, if you've got a, if you got a note, if you've got a phone call, if you've got an email, if you've got a message to you somehow, 
and somebody said, I am coming to kill you. How many of that would, that would bother you? That might shake you up a little bit. What do you mean? Why? Who is this, who is this from? Why are they coming to kill me? That could get you a little, little upset. God delivers his messages to Elijah. He's still sitting there in the house. He doesn't seem to be too bothered by this, does he? He hasn't alerted anyone to say, hey, uh, uh, take this guy out. He doesn't say take him out. He says, no. He says, you see how this son of a murderer, that's what he's calling the king, has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? So then he comes to the door, and apparently they were successful in doing this. Now when the king, now his name, the, the king, if you want the name here, it's Jehoram. I wrote that in your outline for you so that you'd have that. If you, if you look at some of the stories around King Jehoram, just know that this is the king. You can see some of the bad things he had done during his reign. But he heard the words of the, of the request of the two women. So these two women made this request. He heard the words and that got his emotions going. He got mad when he heard this thing happening. How many of you all know we, we, we see some things, we get our emotions rolling. Of course, this week we had that whole uh, fiasco with the police officer and the man who was killed. Um, terrible. I, I, I'm always looking to find the other side. No, what's, what's the other side of me? I couldn't find the other side in this one. I just, I don't see any, any, any reason for this to have gone on. But it's, um, it's certainly tragic. It's, uh, it's just not a, a good thing. And it, it's, it's done to stir up our emotions. And it does. It, it, it's a lot of us stirred up. We get very angry at someone we don't know. And we weren't there to see the thing, but how many of y'all know? It stirred up some anger in us. Why is this, why is this going on? And then you hear things like the police officer had 18 complaints against him or 18 things that nobody had dealt with. Um, and you get even more mad. You know, why is this kind of stuff allowed to go on? Now, I reacted to it. Uh, I know some people, you, you look in the news, I, I don't want much to do about to hear what's going on in the news. And a lot of people are reacting to it because of the racial thing that's involved. I got emotional about it because of the humanity that was involved. This is one person taking the life of another person. I don't care what color their skin is of each, either person. No one should, should do that. And in our country, we're not set up to have police officers decide, well, this one shouldn't make it to court. No, everybody makes it to court. You just bring them in alive. Not, uh, not that way. So I got I got So just uh, at the humanity, some people would stir their emotions just because of the, the racial element that is there. And whatever it is, your emotions can certainly be stirred when you see that and that kind of stuff go on. And then, of course, some people use it as an excuse to riot and, to, and to so forth. And, um, you know, that's, it seems like every time this goes on, Ferguson was one, Baltimore was another, this is another one here. Uh, it seems that uh, some of the people they arrest are not even from the town. And so maybe they're stirring them up and trying to get the town a bad name, but somebody brought them in for the purpose of, of doing this. And the people, they burned people's businesses. They looted their stuff. Um, this is not right. It's, they had nothing to do with what happened with the police officer and the gentleman on the ground. They had nothing to do with it, but somehow they're taking the, the brunt of it. So you see, you get these emotions and this just happened this week. We can probably go back to the last week and week before that. And there's other things that are going on. But this just happened this week. 
and you can see that people, their emotions get stirred up and they do things that maybe they wouldn't do otherwise. Maybe uh, a lot of those people running into the Target and taking the big screens and the uh, baby clothes and what else it was they were talking about to make them feel better, I guess. I don't know what it was, but it's, that's ridiculous to me. I just uh, Don't tell me that you're protesting something and going out there and taking something that benefits, benefits you. But uh, that's, that's, that's out there to benefit themselves. Their, their emotions were, were stirred up. Maybe they wouldn't normally go into a Target and, and steal TVs. But their emotions got stirred up and they, they decided to go and to do this. So this is why we have to get, make sure that our emotions don't rule us. Because my emotions can get so stirred, I say things and I do things that I would not normally do. And probably even afterwards I would say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Mm, shouldn't have done that. But we, what we did, of course, uh, Ferguson and Baltimore making into the news. Some of the, some of the things I was reading anyway, I should say, not necessarily the news, but some of the things I was reading about, I found out some of those uh, areas, I think Ferguson in particular, after, uh, was it five years? I think it was five years, still not rebuilt. Many of those areas that were burned, still not rebuilt. And um, that's really tragic when you think that people were brought in from outside to start this stuff and then they all left. And the people that are still there are, are going on with that. But we have to make sure that we make ourselves not be able to have emotions cause us to say things that we're going to later regret or to do things that we will later regret. Remember the words of Jesus. He said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear or see the Father do. When I get my emotions going, I say what I want. And I do what I want. You don't have the same protection under the blood of Jesus Christ <laughs> that you do if, uh, if you were to stay with those areas that, that the Lord does, the Lord Jesus did. Now, I put this in your outline. You can write this in if you want to. Our reactions give our hearts... Or give away our heart's condition. How you react will give away your heart's condition. What's going on on the inside of you, inside your heart, will come out when your emotions get stirred up. And we will find out what's on the inside. We found out who the king, he may have sackcloth on as if he's repenting. But when given an opportunity, he blames. If you're out there listening to Brother Keith Moore and his Sunday service, Sunday morning services. Anybody listen to Brother Keith Moore? Current Sunday morning service. Anybody doing that? All right, a couple of you. He's doing uh, the blame game. And uh, very very good stuff to listen to. Highly recommended if you're not listening to it already. But how we, how, how people that are not repentant blame other people. It's always somebody else's fault. He went all the way back into the garden. You know, when uh, uh, the Lord confronted Adam, what did he do? He blamed the wife. When he turned to the, to, turned to the wife, what did the wife do? Blame the serpent. Blame the serpent. Turned to the serpent. The serpent didn't blame anybody. <laughs> I guess there's no one else to blame. <laughs> but, you know, and he went through, he's going through, uh, and, and looks at a number of the places where, uh, if you're blaming, if you're blaming someone else, you're not repenting. You cannot be repentant and blame. Cannot do it. So it's a good series. Recommend it if you're not already listening to it. 
But our heart's reaction give away, I'm sorry, our reactions give away our heart's condition. That will tell you where you're at. Now, I gave you this list before. I'm going to give it to you again, though, because it was a long time ago that you, that you had this, and probably you may not even remember it. But when problems arise, your reactions will locate you. If you are in pride, your reaction is to blame others. If you are in pride, your reaction is to blame others. Now you can flip it. If your emotions get stirred up and you begin to blame other people, just know, oh, I'm in pride. Yep. I, I may not have seen it. I may not be able to pinpoint it. But I know that's pride. It's kind of like when you're walking around outside and you can, you're just minding your own business and all of a sudden, <gasps> barbecue. I know it's here. <laughs> Smell it. And you know it's barbecue. That's, that's undeniable. That's barbecue. And um, maybe you're hungry for barbecue at the time and so you, you seek it out. And you look for it. You know, now barbecue, I can smell. If I'm walking on down the street, I can smell barbecue. Uh, I cannot smell Chinese food. <laughs> cannot do it. Other people, my wife, she probably could. She probably walking down the street. Oh, that's Chinese food. I'm thinking, what is that smell? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> quite a, don't quite go that way, but um, I, it's it's just not something that that jumps out of me for that. Now pizza, I can smell pizza. I can. I can, and there's certain foods that you're out there, you can, you can smell them. Oh, yeah, that's, that smells good. I don't know where it is, but I can smell it. This is the same thing with this. If you find yourself blaming, or if you hear other people, all they're doing is blaming other people, just know pride is involved. And you ought to deal with it. Because just because you don't see the pride doesn't mean that you shouldn't deal with it. It's kind of like being in your house. Have you ever been in your house and smelled smoke? Most of us have. Uh, it doesn't mean that there is a fire, but it generally means something is not right. Something is, is going wrong. And so uh, we smell smoke and we're immediately, we're looking around the house. Where is it? Where is it? What's going on? It's, you might feel in some of the outlets to see if there's something in there warm or, uh, you know, something. Because we don't want it to get out of hand. We want to get in there and take care of this thing. So you go out there and you... And you look for it. And you look, you look intently for it, too. You don't just go around there and smell smoke. Well, I don't see nothing. I guess we're okay. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> we go all around until we can find out what is the source of the smoke. We go outside. Is it outside? And it just came inside. Because, and if we go outside and we don't smell it outside, no, it's in the house somewhere. What's going on in the house that's causing this, me to smell this smoke? All right. In pride, you blame others. False humility. Humility. If you want to know if false humility is in your life, you'll blame yourself. I'm always the fault. Something going on. Well, it's probably me. Yeah, probably me. If you're always blaming yourself for everything, you probably have false humility going on. This is kind of like that. Uh, you might be a redneck if. Kind of along, along those lines. I got a picture from somebody. I saw the picture anyway. And I, I couldn't think of too many people that would appreciate it. But I knew Bruce would. So I sent over to Bruce and Phyllis. And uh, there's a picture of a guy who had a couple of tattoos on his body. He's out fishing. And on his leg, he tattooed a ruler. And he took the fish that he caught and he held it up to his leg so he could measure it. <laughs> you might be a redneck if. <laughs> 
So they, they enjoyed it. But if you're in pride, you blame others. If you have false humility, you'll blame yourself. You see, the humble go to the Word to seek the Lord's counsel. That's the humble. The humble, they go to the Word. I want to seek the Lord's counsel on this before they utter a word or enter or entertain a thought. That's the humble. Before I let a word come out of my mouth or thoughts go around in my head about what the news media wants me to see on the TV, what I'm reading about on Facebook, whatever it might be, whatever's trying to stir my emotions, get me going. Before I have a thought, before I have a word, Father God, what do you want me to do? We get counsel. God doesn't tell you to say anything, do anything. Don't bother. Elisha knows both the actions taken against him and the actions of the Lord for Israel. He's well aware of that. Because, you see, he walks with the Father. He knows the nature of the Father. He can see the hand of the Father in stuff that other people, I don't, I don't, I don't quite pick that up. I don't, understand. I don't see that. You know, some people who are really good with food, they can, um, they can pinpoint things that you and I would be, we would be blind to. You know, we were, my wife and I were sitting and watching some of the Hallmark movies. You know, rerun Hallmark movies are better than anything else on TV right now. <laughs> so we're watching rerun Hallmark movies. Then we watched that, uh, I don't know, that one that, about a, a wine, winery. And uh, the lady who, uh, was the, the, the main person, uh, she was able to discern where the wine, where the grapes came from. I forget what her, her name was or what the movie was, but she could discern these things. You know, not in heads, but everybody, everybody's seen this one. So you could give her a glass of wine. She could say, oh, I had grapes from this vineyard or this particular. How are you doing that? Now, it may just be written in the script to do that, but I'll, probably there's, there's some people out there who could come close to doing something like that. You can refine how well you know whether God's in something or not. Some people are going to be better at it than others. Elisha is fantastic. Elisha is off the charts good. He can see the hand of the Lord and stuff that God was in that? Where? How? What did he do? He could look at a situation and know exactly what the will of God is in that situation. He is that good because you've got, a, you've got a prophet here who walks with God. You think Elijah was walking with God. Elisha, folks, he, he dwarfs Elijah in this capacity. Now, Elijah was a lot more bold and a lot more vocal with what God gave him. But Elisha is amazing how he could fine-tune this and just know exactly what God wanted him to do in every situation. And he's one prophet who never plays any kind of a blame game. Never blames anybody for anything. If I were Elisha, I think my question for God is, God, why did you put me here? I mean, these people, they don't want anything about you. Why did you put me here? That'd be my question, but he didn't. He didn't seem to ask that question. He just kept on going. But we know that God gives grace to the humble. So if you want to be a humble, humble people go to the Word and they seek the Lord's counsel before they utter a single word. 
or entertain any thought. Once you start entertaining some thoughts, speaking some words, you're going to get your emotions engaged and they will probably carry you someplace that you won't, don't want to go. Don't be, um, don't be doing that. Let's pick up here in verse 1, chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord were, would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? He said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Hmm. Notice how quick Elisha is to, to utter this second word. And that is a pretty pointed prophecy. And he just rattles it off just like that. So he first off, now the first word he had from God. God probably gave it to him when he said this man's coming. He hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So that was, that would be like here in this country, if oil became scarce, people couldn't, uh, we couldn't get it around, couldn't move it around, gas prices soared. And let's just say for a moment that you were paying $25 a gallon for, uh, <laughs> for gasoline. And then a prophet stood up and said, this time tomorrow, gas will sell for 25 cents. How many of you would say, uh-uh, there's no way that's going to happen. I mean, it takes a little while for the, for the market to have that kind of an effect. Even if the price of oil drops to nothing overnight, the price of the pump is still not going to be affected right away. It's still going to take a little while for that to come down. And you would have all these reasons and all these things to say, Elisha gets the word from God. What's he do? He just speaks it right out. That's not for me to make it come about. It's not for me to figure out how it's supposed to come about. All it is for me to do is to say it. <laughs> so he got it from God. He knew it came from God. I don't know if you were Elisha. Would you be thinking, how is this possible? If I was Elisha, this is what I would be thinking. God, why in the world would you do that? That would be my question. These people are worshiping idols. They're, why in the world would you do this? Surely they can't be God. But that's, that's what he did. So this man said what probably a whole lot of people are thinking. Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now this man was at the gate the next day. So Elisha is either in the town in another part of the city from, from where he, the king is, or he's in a, a town over where they're able to sneak out. They do have underground passageways and they can get a few people out. So he's not the only one hearing that disbelieves what Elisha is saying. But he's the only one who verbalizes it. Be careful what you verbalize. You may think it. But don't, don't, don't speak it. It's bad to think it. It's bad to just to think it. But it's far worse if you say it. So if you can stop it in your head, I thought it, but I'm not going to let it come out. You're in better shape. Because there's a whole lot of people there who thought it, 
but didn't say it. But he decided to say it. And so Elisha speaks to him. In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, Elisha knows these things that the Lord is out here to do. He knows these, the actions that God has taken against him. Against Israel. He knows these things. But what an incredible prediction. What a thing to say. This, this is just absolutely remarkable. We're going to go from basically small amounts of unclean and detestable food to um, items that sold for much more. So begin to think of some of the things that are detestable. Would you pay high dollar items for spiders with some meat to them? Anybody want to pay high dollar? I mean, you just, you're, you're, your skin is crawling just even thinking of eating something like that. And going from that to where normal food is cheap. That's what you're going for. Because these folks would do that. You would not step on a spider or a snake. You would catch them and eat them. That's how hungry they are. Well, in Second uh, Chronicles, verse 20 of chapter 20, Hear me. O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. You're better off believing the prophet than not believing the prophet. But if you have a hard time believing something that is said, don't, don't vocalize it. Stop it in your head. Now verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. Can you imagine to be such despair of life that, hey, the worst thing can happen is we die. I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen. For a lot of people, that is the worst thing that can happen. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. There's no, they got out of there, you know, kind of nighttime, settling in. There's no one there. How, how is it we have this camp, all these soldiers? There's no one here. Are they out on a mission? Are they out going against the city somewhere? So somehow we missed them? going on so they says that they went into a tent now these four lepers they act on hopelessness they have absolutely no hope they made they did not make a faith statement they said let us go down to the camp and god will provide they didn't say that they said let us go down to the camp if they kill us we die Oh well, there's no faith in that. There's hopelessness. You see, had they known the word of the Lord and acted on it, they would have been they, they would have been acting in faith. If they knew God said this, oh, God has told us to do this. Let's do this. If they knew it, 
They would have acted in faith. Now put this in your outline for you. You cannot accidentally have a faith action. <laughs> cannot have a faith accident. If you are going to have an action of faith, it is on purpose. You've got to have the word of the Lord. And you've got to act on the word of the Lord. It's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to stumble upon it. Well, I guess somehow we hit all the right things and wow, we got healed. Wow, provision came. It doesn't happen by accident. I've got to hear the word of the Lord, act on it, believe that it's true, act on it. That's a faith action. These folks did not do a faith action. Verse 6, For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. They ran from nothing, thinking it was something. The reason that happened is because God knows the fear that is in your enemies. Your enemies have fear. It's, it's, you may not see it, but your enemies, whoever they are, they have fears. Because how do you get rid of fear? Perfect love casts out all fear. Outside of walking in perfect love, you will have fear. You're going to have fear of losing something. Some fear of somebody taking something. You're, there will be fear in your life. I mean, people who walk with God have fears in their life. How much more the unsaved? All the different things that they're afraid of. It's, uh, it's amazing. But God knows the fear of your enemies. And so, He doesn't put this fear in them. It's already there. They came in here thinking... There's a possibility that Israel will hire armies against us. Because this was, this was not uncommon in these days. If you had some money, send it out, make, make promises of tribute or whatever it might be, and the Egyptians would come and they had come before to, to help them. Maybe the Hittites, they might come. And so they heard noises. God calls them to hear noises and their minds, because of their fear, they began to put these noises together. Same way that you do it at nighttime. Your house makes noises. And in the daytime, you don't think much of it. But at nighttime, we begin to put things together. I just know someone's trying to break in. I just know something not good is going on right now. Right? Because you're hearing it. And so if we're going down there, you know, we, we get the baseball bat or the um, whatever it is that we're going we're gonna to carry, defend ourselves. Because we're expecting some bad things. Because I heard the noises. And in my mind, I began to put things together. Because, because fear was in me. I became afraid. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses. They just heard stuff. There was just noises in the trees. Natural noises that came along. But... God says, if, if this noise goes on, they're going to hear it like this. I know what they're going to do. I know the fears that they have. Just know this. God knows the fear of your enemies, the people who have encamped against you. And he can cause those fears to be enacted. 
And he doesn't have to do a thing. They will do it themselves. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Now what time did the, peop did the lepers come to the camp? Twilight. What time did they hear the sounds? The, what time did the army hear the sounds? Twilight. It means there was not a whole lot of time between when they heard the sounds and fled and when the lepers got the idea to go on down to the camp. It didn't say they went down at midnight and this happened at twilight because that would give you a couple of hours. You're looking at a, a very small window of time which means they got out of there quick. They hightailed out of it fast. So that within minutes, they're out. And they left all their stuff. That's why all their stuff is left, because they left in that much of a hurry. But their camp is intact. Here's their tents, their horses, the donkeys. I imagine that would mean a lot of their armaments are there. They left money, changes of clothes, food, left it all behind. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. <laughs> so this is a multitude, an entire nation's army came, they're in tents. How many of y'all know there's a lot of tents out here in the field? They went into what? One tent. In one tent, all four lepers ate food and were satisfied and then took stuff and went and hid it. Silver and gold. They, they found enough silver and gold to keep four people happy. That's one tent. They got a whole lot more tents to go. So they go into the one tent. And they, man, this is pretty good. They come back and they enter the second tent, another tent, and carried some from there also, and they went and hid it. Now they're thankful, aren't they? They are thankful for, for what they're finding, but their attitude is not one of thankfulness. They're not one of gratefulness. This is not their attitude. Their attitude is, look at all this stuff that is for me. Just because we may look at a person and we, outwardly they seem to be thankful, it doesn't mean that they're as thankful as we think. I heard, a, I heard this story about a family. They had a, uh, they had a pig. And I, don't, I wasn't sure if they had a pig farm, but they had a pig. And uh, they said um, uh, they had a visitor who came on over that day and they saw the pig and the, the poor pig was walking on three legs and had a wooden stump for the fourth leg. And they said, why does your pig have a wooden stump for a fourth leg? I mean, that's, that's sad. I said, oh, it's, a, it's quite a story, that pig. That pig is very, very special to us. You see, one night, our house started to catch on fire. And that pig oinked and oinked and made noise until it got us awake and we saw it and we were able to put the thing out and saved our house and probably our lives. Man, that's an amazing pig. That wasn't it. That wasn't all. 
No. You see, our 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 son was um he got he got caught and he he was in a situation he was gonna die. And the, the pig was out there with him and oinked and made so much noise and got our attention. We went out to see what was going on and we were able to pull him out of the danger he was in. Saved our son's life. That's an amazing story. Well, you still haven't told me, why does the pig only have one leg? Thinking, you know, it got injured in one of these, one of these things. Well, it's a very special pig. Really special pig. You just can't eat. A pig like that all at once. <laughs> now, how many know that's a person who's not necessarily as grateful <laughs> as probably they ought to be? So this is what these guys are. They're grateful, but it's ours. I'm grateful for me. And so as we're in there feasting and all this sort of stuff, Probably thinking of stuff like, man, we have been gypped all of our life. All of our life we have been in a situation we have not had what we wanted to have. Now, you want the backstory on this? Maybe you remember it from me telling it to you before. The backstory on these four lepers is that one of them is Gehazi. And the other three are his sons. That's the Jewish uh, take on, on this story. That's what they passed out. One of these four is Gehazi. Remember he, him picked up the leprosy of Laban? One of them is him, and the other three are his sons. It's not in the Bible, but it is, in the, it is something that the Jewish people pass down about them amongst themselves. So they're glad for what has come to them, but they're not grateful for what God has done for all. A lot of times we can get very glad for what God has done for me, but I am not grateful for what God is doing for everyone. It's the wrong attitude to have. Once I start getting glad for me and rejoice for me, it isn't too long before I lose all gratefulness and rejoicing and thankfulness that I should have. I put this in your outline for you too. Too many people are mannerly thankful. They have good manners as far as being thankful. They say all the right things. They do all the right stuff. But they are not grateful. They're, they are not gratefully. They're not gratefully. They, they, they're not grateful in their spirit. They don't have the right attitude. I changed that from your outline from that apparently I put in mine. But too many, too many people, we just have good manners. I'm mannerly thankful. But you see, God wants you to be grateful all the way down into your spirit. It's a spiritual attitude that you have. That's what you got. When you have a spiritual attitude of being thankful, you never have to try and pretend to look like you're doing the right things. It just comes up from the inside. This is just who you are. Now, how many of you say thank you when you're giving your paycheck? Somebody gives you a paycheck. I'm, I'm happy to say, they, they, here's your paycheck for the week. How many of us say thank you? Sure. Do we mean it? Well, you know, you deserve it. You're supposed to be paying me. I mean, it's, uh, I'll say thankful because, you know, uh, thank you because, you know, I have good manners. But truth is, if you didn't give it to me, I'd be, uh, I'd be angry. That's the difference between being mannerly thankful and being grateful down in your spirit. Let's pick up verse 8. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into 
Uh, well, we already read that part. Where, where do we leave off at? Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. So the reason they're going to do the right thing is because the wrong thing might happen to us. <laughs> that's, a, that's wrong motivation right there. You may be doing the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reasons. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called the gate, to the gatekeepers of the city. They told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact and the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So Elisha gives him the word. This is what's going to happen. Food that is very un, unwanted, is very expensive, but tomorrow, food that you want will be very cheap. If the man of God speaks this to you, how many know what you need to be looking for is a miracle? Something out of the ordinary needs to happen in order for that to occur, right? You Won't you, won't you think of it? Won't you be thinking, something good has got to happen today. Something good's gonna go on. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. But something good is gonna happen today. And wouldn't you be hanging, if you're, if you're looking for any kind of hope that you could, wouldn't you be hanging on the words of the prophet? He said tomorrow. We're not waiting till next week. It's not like, you know, these people that prophesy the end of the world in 10 years. And then 10 years later, it's gonna be the end of the world in 10 years. And then 10 years later, the end of the world in 10 years. We, we we're, we're done. It's not like that. He said tomorrow. Tomorrow about this time. This is what's going to happen. So I ought to be looking for a miracle. I ought to be looking for something good to go on here. Something fantastic is going to happen. Something out of the ordinary, something I am not expecting is going to happen. And we're anticipating it. We're looking forward to it. If you've got a word from God and God said, Lamar, tomorrow about this time, a large sum of money is coming to you. I know Lamar well enough to know he's looking. Where is that large sum of money coming from? I am looking for the large sum of money. If Lamar is, is at the office and Mandy calls him up and says, Lamar, a really fat envelope has arrived in the mail. What do you want me to do? Uh, it's probably just something from Publishers Clearinghouse. Just throw it away. He wouldn't do that, would he? It's really fat. <laughs> Open it up. Wouldn't you be anticipating something coming along to bring along that word? But this is what the king says. I'm going to tell you what's going on here. They know we're hungry. They're trying to lure us out with some food. And as soon as we get out there, they're going to jump on us and they're going to kill us all. I know it. How many of y'all can say, there is no faith in this man? Huh. 
And one of the servants answered and said, Please, let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. They have five horses left. They need them for defense. They've been eating them. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a say of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two says of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him at the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two says of barley for a shekel, and to say a fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Now if you're asking this question, why is anybody selling flour when it was free? I mean, it's free. You just go on down there and you get it. That's all you got to do. How many of y'all know, you, you run into this, there are people that do not want to go get the free stuff, rather you get it and pay you two things. <laughs> hey, would you go down there and get me some? I sure will. That two things would be good for me. I could use some of that money right now. We used up all the money we had. Surely I'll go down there and get some free stuff and sell it to you. So that's where the, that's where the people are that are buying it. They're too lazy to go out there and get it. Can you imagine how lazy they must be if you have been this hungry for this long and you're willing to wait? You know, you go down there and get that for me and bring it on back and I'll pay you. Those are the people that are paying 80 shekels for a donkey's head. So that officer who said the Lord couldn't do it, he died. People trampled him at the gate. Can you imagine that? People... Just so anxious to get out there and to get the food, they just trampled somebody. We see if our eyes are so fixed on what is happening around us, we may not be able to see what is going to happen. If my eyes are only on what is happening out here, I cannot see what God is bringing in the future because of what's happening here. Whether it be the virus stuff or economy stuff or whatever things are going on, sometimes we can get our focus so much on what is happening around me that I cannot see what God is doing for me. I cannot see what God is bringing my way. I cannot see the promises of God. Can God really do that for me? How can God do that for me? Now, I put this in your outline for you. It is easier to maintain a right attitude than it is to require it or to to reacquire it. It is easier to maintain a right attitude than it is to reacquire it. If you let the wrong attitude go, if you let that wrong attitude go, it is harder to pull that back. People are always uh, talking about this, uh, some of the the language, the, the new normal. They want you to accept the new normal. 
because it is harder to reacquire what we did before once we've let it go. That's why it's important just don't let some of these things go. Don't let go of your gratefulness. Don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of your thankfulness. Just like physical fitness. It's a whole lot easier to stay physically fit if you keep it up. It's a whole lot easier to, to uh, three, four, five times a week going out there and do something to be physically fit than it is to take a break for six months and try and get out there again. Oh, that's hard. It's a whole lot easier to keep up a good diet than it is to fall off of it and then try and, and, and get back on the healthy food, whatever it might be that you were doing. It's a whole lot easier to do that. It's a whole lot easier to maintain thankfulness, gratefulness. It's a whole lot easier to maintain forgiveness, joy. It's a whole lot easier to maintain a love walk. It's much easier to maintain faith than it is to try and reacquire these things after you've let them go. Don't let them go. Hang on to it. Now, of these people that are involved in the story, who do you think was prayed up or spent time fasting? And I, by fasting, I don't mean went hungry. There's a whole lot of people in the city who went hungry. They weren't fasting. But of the people involved in the story here, who do you think was, was fasted and prayed up? That would be Elisha. I don't know of anybody else in the northern tribes that would be there. That would be in that, that group with him. And we find out that when all the rest of the city is in an uproar, all the rest of the city is, is suffering under stuff, he's sitting back just chatting with some of the, the people. Some of the elders are there. Just having a good time. Just chatting. How you doing? Yeah, he's going pretty good. He doesn't seem to be too bothered by all this. When the army came around the city of Dothan, he doesn't seem to be too bothered by it. It seems to be okay to him. He's not, he's not stirred up by these things. And this is where we need to go. And if I can get myself into that place where I am getting the benefit of fasting and prayer... It gets my, myself a hold of the emotions. When the, when the enemy throws something my way to stir up my emotions, I refuse them. I don't go after them. No, you're not, you're not stirring me up. You're trying to get me to react to this thing that's going on. You're trying to stir up my emotions. We all know news media is only going to give you part of the story. They're not going to give you the whole story. We all know that. So as soon as they start giving me a story, I know... All right, you're lying about something. I don't know what it is yet, but I know you're lying about something. And I refuse to let them get my emotions going. I'm not going to do it. This is what you need to do. But you see, when you are fasting and praying, doing the two together, I'm giving myself an opportunity to let my flesh stir up, get my emotions stirred up and not listen to them. Just sit there and say, yeah, you're making a fuss, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not paying any attention to you. Come on, give me your best stuff. Let's go. Yeah, that's not very good. You're going to, have to do a whole lot better than that. Come on, flesh. I know you got more than you. Just taunt it. You see, the more you get into fasting, or the more you deny the flesh the things that it wants. You don't have to do it all the time. You just got every once in a while show it who's boss. That's really all you got to do. So you just get, you know what, flesh? We're fasting today. Oh, I don't want to. I don't care. You did not get a vote. And see, after a while, the flesh learns its place. It learns, all right, it goes better for me if I listen. 
Last time I put up a fuss for a day fast, we ended up going two. No, I don't do that. So you, you can train your, your flesh. It's your flesh that gets stirred up by this emotional stuff. You get mad, you get angry, and it stirs up action, reactions. And you begin to do things the Father didn't do. You begin to say things the Father didn't say. And I get myself in trouble. I don't need to do that. I don't want to think thoughts even that the Father's not giving me to think. Now, Elisha, he's not thrown by the surprises that hit him in life. He's not out there to blame other people. He doesn't even blame God. You have to assume that Elisha is somehow under the problems that their idolatry has brought on this country. But he doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame them. There's no woe is me attitude. He just gets before God. God says, do this, say this. He's just, okay. Keeps his emotions out of it. Keep your emotions out of stuff. You start getting angry at people. You start getting disappointed at people. You start getting unforgiveness to creep on in. You start letting doubt and unbelief start to creep on in. It's amazing. It gets a good foothold. You hang on to it. Whatever it is that God said, you hang on to it. Don't let it go. And you keep doing it. Father God, you, this is what you said to do. This is what you said to do. Now, how many of you have you've got some things that God told you to do? And you've been doing them. You've been staying with it. Sometimes you stay with it. It doesn't seem like it's doing any good. I don't seem to be getting any, any better on here. But you've got to be, get, check your attitude. Make sure. Am I, do I have a grateful attitude? Have I let my attitude get a little bit bad? Am I beginning to think, is this all God is doing? Have I stopped looking for the answer to come? Have I become like the king? I hear this fantastic word from God. And when I see, here it comes, people said, I saw it, it's there, I don't believe it. Man. No, you listen, listen to God. God will get you out of whatever it is you're in. Here's the thing that, to look at this. Israel has not repented. As far as I can tell in this whole story, Israel has not repented of their idolatry. God has just given them, a, given them one. I guess Elisha stood in the gap for them, prayed for them, or did something, because the only one that seems to be going after God is Elisha. So I just have to assume that he prayed them out of it like Moses prayed them out of it. But what is, what is God speaking to you about these things? you got to stay with it. And it, don't say, well, I stuck with it for a week. I mean, I was on that diet he told me to do. I was doing that thing for a week, and I didn't see nothing. Mm-hmm. Word from God, yeah, right. And we just kind of let it go. But don't, don't be doing that. Take what God has said to you. Because th- there is light at the end of the tunnel. There, there is something that's going to change. But you've got to stay with it. I told you my story before. The, the word that God spoke to me about how to get things fixed up in my body. Now, it was, it was sometime last year. And I stuck with it. I told you the story when I, when I walked off of it. I, I kind of got off a little bit and did some extra. 
and got into trouble, dropped out of it altogether, had to work my way back up into it. But uh, it's, it's been over a year, around a year now, when God first spoke to me about what I had to get, get to. And so uh, we got to it. And I told you, you know, when I got uh, ill back in March and coming back, how, how, I'm not going to go over it again, how rough the road back was. The, r- the roughest road back I've ever had. And just everything was bad. Everything was bad. But I didn't tell you about April. <laughs> April. Now, now, we've had, uh, you see, if I, if I did what the Lord said, I'd come out with about 125 miles a month. It's not fantastic. It's good. It's not, it's, it's, I, that's what I did. I had, over the last year, I'd say about nine or ten of those months were 125. And then April came along. And I did not have the direct word that I had before. But I had a knowing in my spirit. You can do more. So I did. And so April, I started to increase it. And in May, I increased it just a little bit more. So that now, I'm running six days a week. Six to seven miles a day. No long runs. No, I haven't been cleared for the... I need that in my spirit. No long runs. Just six, seven, seven and a half miles, stuff like that. And uh, eventually, maybe we'll get to, get to that. But I, I tallied my, my, my mileage for this, this month. I hit six days a week every single day since mid-April. And this last month, I clocked in 167 miles for the month. That is only a little under the pace I was doing before I got injured. Only a little bit under. But you see... I had to stay with what God said. And my body did not always tell me I was doing the right thing. There was a lot of times my body was saying, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Listen to the doctor. Doctor said, don't do it anymore. You shouldn't be doing this. My body was telling me that. But my father told me something else. I spoke to my body. <laughs> when God speaks to you, you take that word. I don't care if you have to stay with it for a month, two months, six months, I don't care what it pushes you to do. You do it because God spoke it. It's not always going to be like this story tomorrow about this time. Sometimes it take a little bit longer for you to go through it. But I'll tell you what. If you don't listen to your emotions because your body, when it starts feeling pains, when it starts feeling things, it starts to stir up your emotions. We can get sad. We can get angry. You can get mad. You can get disappointed. These are all emotions. These are all emotions that will undermine your faith. You cannot have that going on. You've got to stand up to it. I am not giving into This is what my father said. He said, do this, I'm doing it. Whether it comes out of the word of God, whether you spoke it to you in your spirit, whatever it is, you go out there and you do those things. Stay with it. Be like Elisha. He is not thrown by any surprises. But you see, he's one who stayed fasted and prayed up in his life. When something happened, he knew about it. When a messenger is dispatched to come and kill him, God speaks to him. Oh, God already told me what to do about this. Your son's getting upset. (laughs) He just goes on. It does not seem like this man is affected by anything. He's never sad. He's never depressed. He's never... We don't even see him angry. It seems like nothing gets this guy off. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It seems. We don't have all the stories about him, 
But we got a lot of stories about him. And I never see Elisha as anything but Elisha. I see angry Elijah. I see depressed Elijah. I see hurt Elijah. I never see those things in Elisha. Not one single time. This is how we can be. Through fasting and prayer, you can take those emotions that we all have and God has them too. Doesn't God get angry? Doesn't God get upset? God has emotions. He describes them in the Word. But His emotions don't rule Him. You can have emotions. They don't have to rule you. You don't have to become like Spock. No emotions. I have them all under control. You don't have to be that. Because God has emotions. But what you have to do is those emotions don't rule you. They don't take you to places you don't want to go. That's how you can be. And through fasting and prayer, we can get ourselves there. We can be walking in that to where the fear the world wants to try and put on me, the anger the world wants to try and put on me, the depression, the disappointment, all these things the world wants to try and get you to be pulled into. It's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Because if I am not pulled into those wrong emotions, if I'm not ruled by the emotions that I have, now it's much easier for me to speak only what God spoke. Jesus said, I only speak the things I hear the Father speak. He had emotions. We see them sometimes. But you see, he never spoke out of those emotions. He spoke out of what he heard God say to speak. Remember, the only guy in the story who got into trouble is the guy who gave voice to what he was feeling inside. Careful what you give your voice to. Would you all stand up with me? Today we have communion. Sunday, if you're at home and you have elements that you can bring around. That's great. I meant to say that to you in the, in the beginning. But for those that are here, we have some communion elements for you. Had to have been an emotional night when Jesus had his disciples in the upper room. He had to have all kinds of emotions going on the inside of him. Sadness. I'm sure fear was even trying to knock on the door because of the things that were coming. And though Jesus may have been feeling many different emotions, he still spoke what the Father said to speak. He still did what the Father said to do. Just because you have emotions going on the inside of you does not mean they need to rule you. And what a great example Jesus was on the night that he was betrayed. Calmly sitting at the table, with the disciples. Knowing that this is the last time he's going to have them together. 
This is the last time. And he gave them something that would endure thousands of years. He said, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. Before the supper, he broke the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. He knew his body was going to be beaten, harmed. He was going to go through all kinds of pain. He was not only doing it for the 12 people in the room. He was doing it for us who were not even born yet. He pictured the church that was to come. The people that would make it up. He pictured the battles that we would face and knew the victory that we could walk in. And so, before the supper, he took the bread and he broke it. As we eat together, Let's remember what our father went through in giving up his son. What the son went through going through the cross. No matter how great our battle is and what we face in our emotions and our emotions trying to get us to do things, to say things, to react to people, to react to situations. Just think of Jesus. What a fantastic example of someone that did not let emotion take him away anyway, other than what the Father wanted him to do. As we eat together, let's remember the work done in Jesus' body. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood. Can you imagine taking a cup, passing it around to all the people at the table and telling them, this represents my blood that's going to be poured out for you. To know that your blood was going to be spilled not in a quick but in a slow draining way he knew it was coming and he sat there at the table and ministered to his disciples what they needed to hear if Jesus being a man could keep his emotions in check to accomplish the purpose that God has for him how much more can we Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the great sacrifice you gave us in your son Jesus. 
His body was beaten for us. The curse was put upon Him. His blood was shed for us. He went to hell so that we didn't have to. He paid the penalty. Something He didn't deserve. Father, I give You the praise and the glory for it. As Jesus was our example of how we can make sure that emotions don't cloud our judgment, don't take us down the wrong road, don't make us say and do things, but our emotions can be held in check by the Spirit that you put in us. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Keith. Good morning. You know, corporate worship is a wonderful thing. It's good to do Facebook. It's good to have streaming for service. But there's something about being in the presence of the body of Christ. We've all got a job. We've all got an assignment. And when we're all together, there's nothing like it. That feeling of of one person doing their job. If it's just to pull something out of pastor, to make him go a little further, to encourage him. You know, I come from black church where they talk to you. All right, so but sometimes that can be a little because they're talking and you're trying to talk and but it's wonderful to be able to have people pull upon you. Amen. In this day when everybody is upside down and crazy and everything else, what we need to do is hold on to our God. And I've got Jeremiah twenty nine eleven right here for us. And it says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Think about today. I know what I think for you. Thoughts of peace, not evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Well, I will listen to you. Amen. And you will seek me and you will find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. So when you're thinking about all that's going on today, think about what God is saying. Say what God is saying. Repeat it over and over and over again. We say all the time, God has not given us the spirit of fear, power, love, and sound mind. When it continues to look like it's going topsy-turvy crazy and, and we don't know what's going on, we do. We know what God has given us. We know what God has promised us. So as we know that, we need to continue to proclaim it. And as we're proclaiming it, giving him honor, giving him glory, and giving him praise. Amen? 
All right, couple uh, praise reports from the Bacons. Amen. Amen. Uh, from the Bacons at all, we received a financial breakthrough uh, that it took 16 weeks in the workings. Okay, they're praising God for building this testimony even further. Amen. Amen. And it goes on a little further because I got to, you love when you get the two-sided ones. You got to go to the back. Okay. And and the back has to say, um, being stuck at home for so many weeks has been trying and to keep the kids entertained. Uh, I've been searching for four weeks for an outdoor trampoline. Now we got to watch that because when Les gets up there, keep them off the trampoline, please. Thank you. Okay, so we've been looking for a trampoline. Everything was sold out, and even secondhand uh, trampolines sold in minutes. This week he checked out uh, one he had his eye on, and it was in stock, and he was it was available for immediate pickup. Amen? So the Bacons now have a trampoline, right? Not for you, Les. All right, and we have uh, one from Alyssa. And this is that Lissy officially has graduated from first grade. Amen. So we got graduations for every grade now, but she is officially graduated and is a second grader. Amen. And then I have further from Alyssa. And these are in capital letters. Okay. I will never have to do school on Zoom ever again. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. She's doing the happy dance in the back. All right. So continue to glorify God in all he does, in the big things, in the small things. Because when we make sure we look at the small things, I mean, it's easy to do big things. But God brought us all out today. God has kept us all healthy. These are big things. But it's the little things as well. Amen. Praise God. Enjoy the rest of the day. Oh, sorry. Prayer request from Miss Candy. She's been experiencing problems with her stomach and she found out that she has gallstones. So we just had communion and that we know that Jesus's body was broken for our healing. So thank you, God, because. You died. You were broken for Miss Candy's sicknesses and her infirmities. That she is already healed. Amen. And what we're praying for as a congregation is that wonderful testimony of what God and how God did what he has already done for her. That she'll be shouting it from the rooftops. Amen. Hallelujah. Have a great day. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.